Welcome to another episode of Talking with Bungie. Now, Talking with Bungie is the podcast associated with my YouTube channel, Death by Bungie. What is Death by Bungie? You probably already know, or you wouldn't be listening to this podcast, most likely. But Death by Bungie is a crossbow hunting related YouTube channel. That's what Death by Bungie is all about. Bungie, of course, is my crossbow. And episodes of Death by Bungie focus on crossbows and crossbow hunting. This episode of Talking with Bungie is going to be a little bit different. We're going to deviate a little bit from that crossbow and crossbow hunting theme. Now, that's one of the things I like to do in the Talking with Bungie podcast. I wanted to branch out a little bit, a little bit beyond the confines of what we do on the YouTube channel. There is no question that crossbows and crossbow hunting are my number one passion, and the YouTube channel will continue to showcase the crossbow and how it can help you enjoy the outdoors. On this podcast, however... It is my distinct pleasure to bring to you one of the most interesting guests that Talking with Bungie has showcased, and that is Jason LeMay, a hunter from Wisconsin. Now, he hunts with a crossbow. He's a crossbow hunter. That's why he's interested in Death by Bungie. He's also a listener to Yankee Militia, my band, in case you've ever wondered where the music on Death by Bungie comes from. Most of it is from my band. It's music that I've created, for good or bad. But Jason LeMay also hunts with birds we're going to be talking about falconry now did i say that right (laughs) yep and the reason i say that is because this is a whole new topic for me i knew absolutely nothing well almost nothing about it other than it involved involved uh, falcons and birds of course so i did do a little bit of looking up some stuff online but i'm anxious to learn more about this and i think that the people who listen to talking with bungie will also be interested in it First of all, Jason, if you can tell me a little bit about your background, who you are here. We chatted a little bit before we got started here, and I guess you have a Yankee Militia shirt on. Is that right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Rocking the uh, Yankee Militia gear. And um, I'm a 44-year-old hunter from Wisconsin. I've um, been crossbow hunting for a couple of years now, but I've been deer hunting for a long time. I'm married, three children. Uh, my son helps me do a lot of the deer hunting, and he helps me with a lot of the falconry stuff, and uh, not any more different than any other typical hunter. Well, I think they're a little different in the sense that we're talking about falconry. Now, what, like, that's not something that uh, I have any other than, you know, I've heard about it here and there. Can you define that for us? What are we talking about when we talk about falconry? Falconry is the taking of a raptor to hunt wild game. Um, this I can kind of talk mostly about Wisconsin because from each state, it, uh, the rules are regular. In Wisconsin, you have three levels of falconer. You start off as an apprentice, and you go to a general falconer, and then you go to a, a master falconer. And depending on the type of class you are, it dictates what kind of what birds you can fly. Um, here in Wisconsin, most people typically tend to fly red-tailed hawks, or goshawks, um, and a lot of times where you live and what you have around you for a prey animal kind of dictates what you fly. Okay. Um, I don't think Pennsylvania is all that different from us here in Wisconsin. So um, the best two hawks here would be uh, the red-tailed hawk and the goshawk because a lot of we have a lot of rabbit, a lot of squirrel that we hunt, and 
Um, also, the goshawk is even better for upland game birds, for ducks, pheasants, grouse, stuff like that. Okay, so you are allowed to hunt some upland game birds as well as small game with it, like squirrels and rabbits? You can hunt, again, um, depending on... Um, like for instance, a sharpshin hawk or a kestrel is also known as like a sparrow hawk. They're small birds. Yes, we, um, we have those here actually. Yeah. Yep. Yep. They typically hunt birds. So if you, when you hunt with them, like a goshawk, and you check, um, you can't always because you have what they call the let lay rule, where um, your bird catches, you can allow them to feed upon it, but you can't take the carcass with you. Okay. Um, which kind of sucks. I had a friend one time. It's rare, very rare, but his bird uh, killed a turkey. <laughs> he had to leave him. Wow. Oh. Yeah, that's that's pretty rare because turkeys are pretty tough. But I know it's, it's called falconry, and you think, well, where are the falcons? A lot of guys do fly falcons. Um, that tend to be those. Like, here in Wisconsin, you think we have a lot of big, wide open expenses, but we really don't. Um, not where we have um, a lot of pheasant or duck. Because a peregrine falcon or a jeer falcon or something like that, uh, well, a trained bird, will, they will go 2,000 feet, 3,000 feet, sometimes even 5,000 feet. They'll get up there. And when you flush a duck or a pheasant, sometimes they'll come down two or three, four miles away where they you know, they come down. And although, yeah, to see, although to see a, uh, a, a peregrine falcon or a prairie falcon or a jeer falcon, stupid. 200 miles an hour, all you hear is a sizzle. It is <laughs> the most breathtaking thing you'll ever see. Um, the reason why I choose hawks, though, is because hawks, you are right there in it with them. You are the thickest thing here. That's hawk will ride your fist the whole time because they're so fast that they can just tear off, off your glove and they'll catch a rattle within 10 feet. Whereas a red tail does not have that speed. That's why they have to follow you along the treetops. And when they drop, from, they'll take the highest perch they can get. Because when they drop, that'll, that's where they get their speed and power from. Whereas a goshawk will just, three wind beats off your feet, uh, fifth, a goshawk is at 40 miles an hour. Oh, wow. And, uh, okay, so that's the difference. It's a sprint car versus a car that is going to accelerate over time is what it is. I've always said red-tailed hawks are the most trustworthy and loyal. If I was stranded on an island and I could only pick one bird to go hunt with, I would pick the red-tailed hawk every time because I know I'm going to eat every day. Wow. Whereas they, I would consider them the pickup truck of raptors. They're not fast or as fast, but they are big and they are strong. Whereas a goshawk is very, very fast, but they're like a high-maintenance car where it seems like every 100 miles you drive it, you got to stick some money and tinker with it. It's kind of the same way where there's a lot of work that goes into something like a goshawk or a cooper's hawk or, or something like that. Oh, man. So what does the process of hunting look like when you're out there? You have this bird. You release it. It goes out, and it's targeting an animal? Well, again, it depends it, uh, depends on the type of bird. Um, for instance, say a red tail. Um, I mostly hunt red tails or goshawks. So a red tail doesn't have a lot for speed, but they do have a lot for power. And they will fly, they'll, they'll fly up in the trees and they'll follow you and stuff like that. And we do have um, bells that are on their ankles. So that way you can kind of hear what your bird's doing without constantly looking up. But a well-trained bird will follow you along because they know you're going to be the one flushing, flushing game for them. Oh. And when you pick up a rabbit, 
they'll tear off after it. And well, I think they're successful probably uh, four to six out of ten, maybe um, somewhere right on there, fifty percent, maybe just a little under on whether or not they get them. Um, but when they when they catch them, um, then you go up and a hawk really has no way of killing other than they just start eating. So the falconer usually run up right away. And a lot of times, a well-trained hawk will wait for you to come up there because they can struggle to hold them rabbits down. Rabbits weigh, outweigh them birds. Wow. Uh, two to four-pound cottontail, um, sometimes even five-pound cottontail, um, looks small compared to the hawk, but the hawk is still light. Um, they oh, right, right, right. That's in order to fly, sure, sure. Yep. So they look forward to you getting there, and, you know, we put the stash the rabbit. Usually you would quickly stretch the rabbit, snap its neck, and then um, the rabbit then. Um, the bird is typically, depending on, you know, you have your game laws and your bag limits, um, but if you, you know, want to go off, you can either hunt more and trade them off to a small reward, or if you're not going to be hunting for a while, you let them eat as much as they want. Is this season done concurrent with all the other seasons? In other words, you're out there hunting with a falcon at the same time other people might be out hunting small game with shotguns or what have you? See, in Wisconsin, legally, we can hunt squirrel rabbit year-round with a raptor, but nobody does it because the birds molt throughout the summer, and um, when they start dropping feathers, you have to keep them very fat and so they can grow strong feathers. Um, so we typically, um, hunt anywhere from, it's usually right around October we start and go through sometime in March, hanging up in March, April, um, when you start catching, you know, it starts getting warm, all the spring's coming. You don't want to start catching pregnant rabbits and whatnot. Um, as far as rabbits and squirrels go, um, you're not out in the woods, at least here where we hunt, we're not out in the woods. Like in the middle of nowhere, because you can sometimes walk a day and not flush a rabbit. Where I typically hunt is right in the city when, um, like in industrial parks, you know, on railroad tracks or, um, you know, shopping plazas where you might have a, a, a small field full of cattails. Once there's snow on the ground, that's where all the rabbits are. They're in cattails or brush piles. And there's no predators in the city, obviously. So there's so many rabbits in the city. Um, so that way, you don't have to worry too much about coming across hunters and whatnot. Sure, sure. Now, if you're hunting upland game birds, we get a little bit of a longer season um, because we can't obviously go out there when pheasant hunters are out there or duck hunters are out there and, and stuff like that. So um, we get a little bit longer season. Plus, you don't kill nearly as many with a hog as you can have done. Um, it's, uh, it's a lot harder to catch a you won't believe how fast a duck and pheasant are in level flight. So it's not easy for those birds to catch them at all. I can just imagine. Oh, boy. What do you do for, where do you get these birds in the first place? Now, are these rescues? Are these pets that you buy? Or, I mean, I'm going to use the word pets, but are they animals that you could purchase? Or how do you come across, how do you come in contact with these animals in the first place? Red tails, red tails are trapped. You can trap them. We have a trapping season. And they came down and trained so easy. I shouldn't say so easy, but they're really, really good at um, calming down. It's amazing to think that you can take a bird from the wild, train it about a month later, be out hunting with it. Um, but it's, you can only take an immature bird um, because 70, 80% of them die the first year. So you're not hurting the breeding population by taking an adult, uh, an immature bird. Now, why is that? Is that because those birds, it's so hard for them to eat the first year? 
I mean, well, I, I, I'm assuming it takes a lot of skill. It took me a long time to learn how to kill deer with a crossbow, so I can just imagine it takes a, a young bird a while to learn how to eat and kill things off out of the air. <laughs> Mother Nature sends them up pretty fast. I mean, they are an immature bird is a bird born that year. They're born uh, May, uh, maybe first week of June here, um, and then by August, they're already out of the nest trying to learn how to um, you know, make it. And if you have an early winter, you know, uh, red tails diet, I'll bet you 60, 70 percent of them mice. So once you get a foot of snow on the ground, oh. it's, it's a lot harder to catch mice. So only the strong will survive. And plus you have car collisions, illness, um, being shot, uh, all kinds of things these birds have to go through. So if you trap a red tail hawk, train it, some guys will hunt it for a year, release it back to the wild, and you took that bird through its first winter, and it has a great start. You taught it more in that one uh, winter, fall winter of hunting, than it will learn probably in five years of life. And some guys will hunt them 25 years and never release them. But goshawks or any other birds, you can either buy cat brand or a lot of falconers that breed their birds, or you can pull them from a nest if... Um, you can locate uh, the nest. You can go up there and uh, pull a baby from the nest. Really? Okay. Okay. So that's that's yeah. the different ways that you get a hold of them. When you are well, like, how do you do? You keep them in cages at your home? Is that how you do it? Uh, in my bag, it's more like a small garage. It's uh, they have a quite a big um, flight area and tent um, during the hunting season. Um, most times they're kind of tethered like you would, uh, you know, a dog in the yard. So that way, um, they don't hurt themselves during the hunting season. Right. And then, uh, cause most of the falconry is done with weight control. And when they're, when they're ready to go hunting and they're excited, you'll know by looking at them, they can get kind of antsy. So, um, mine is, I have two chambers. Um, mine is, oh, what's like 24 feet long, 12 feet wide, probably 10 feet high. And it looks like a small garage. They call it a mew, M-E-W. It's called a mew. Okay. And that's where they have to be state state inspected when you first get into South Korea. So they come and the DNR come and they inspect everything. It's not easy to get a license. It's a pretty regulated business here that we're talking about. It is. And you know, we have a really good South Korea department in Alcantara DNR because we're such a small number that it would be so easy for, you know, the Fed, the Fed used to be in it, but they kind of got out of it. Now it's up to the individual states. And we have a good software department because it's got to be such a pain in the butt for them um, to regulate us. Because like I said, we are just such a small part. Um, there's probably only about 4,000 softwares in this entire country. I think in our state, there's probably about 100 practicing softwares. Okay. Um, they come out and they'll inspect everything you have. You have to take a, a state and federal exam and pass that with a 90, it's a long hand, like a 95% or something like that. And then there's a two-year apprenticeship um, to go under. And then with every birdie trap or release or all that, there's paperwork and lots of stuff. And when you talk about an apprenticeship, you're working under another falconer? Yep, you have to work on a falconer who is at least a general falconer. So that means two to five years or Got up. Okay. Um, the follow rate in falconer is pretty high. A lot of people will see you and they'll, oh, that's, you know, they'll see it as, you know, that's, that's really cool. You don't have the hawk on their arm and, 
and they think of it as a pet, and I've always hated that word because I'm like, they're not my pet, this is my choice of weapon. Yeah, this isn't, uh, you know, having a parakeet in your house or anything like that. This is a different approach that you're taking here. And that's why when I used the word earlier, I caught myself. I thought, you know, this probably isn't, they probably aren't considered pets. I'm glad to hear you address that. No, and I think sometimes some of the young people today who are kind of getting a sport lose focus of that a little bit. The whole point of having these birds on the hunt them, they are, uh, I think it's a line from Jurassic Park where um, they say, T-Rex that want to be fed, he wants to hunt. The same with these birds. They do not want to be fed. They want to hunt. And um, although you can get them very tame. They never love you. It's a working relationship. You provide a service for them, and that's it. I gotcha. I gotcha. You had mentioned briefly having the bird on your arm. Can you tell us about the gear that you use in this sort of in, in the practice of falconry? Well, obviously you have the gauntlet, which is the glove you wear. Okay. And then the bird has um, anklets, which is either kangaroo leather or there's all different types of synthetic material now too, uh, like biofane. But anklets, and it, the anklets are it's kind of like little cuffs, and they sit around the ankles, and there's a grommet on there. Um, you pass through those what we call jesses, which click to a swivel, and that swivel clicks to a leash, which is then attached to the glove. That's how you keep the bird on the leash on your hand. Um, there are also you know, I mentioned earlier the falconry bells we put on them. They're not just bells you get in the store. They're specifically made for falconry. Um, you can tell by the sound of the bell what that bird's doing. You can tell whether the bird hit the ground. You can tell if it's just moving up. You can tell by the different rings when you get really good at it what that bird's doing. Um, scale is probably the most important piece of equipment you can have in falconry because falconry is all done with weight control. It's the most important tool we have. Then there's also transmitters um, we clip to the bird um, and then you have your receiver so if your bird does fly after game out of sight and you can't find it you can always track your bird find your bird can you tell me a little bit more about this weight control like exactly what are we trying to accomplish there and how are you like how does it affect the bird and that sort of thing well this is a you know a lot of anti-hunters will say things like you starve your bird into submission which is really not true. Um, a, rap, a raptor, a hunger to a raptor is not when the last time I ate was. Hunger to a raptor is in the fall, all they're trying to do is put as much weight on it as they can because they, once the winter comes, they need, it's like a bear, they need to have all that fat to get through the winter. Um, a bird can eat, they have a crop. So if they eat, they catch something, they eat a rabbit. They can eat probably a quarter to sometimes even half a rabbit in one sitting, and then that crop will slowly trickle food down into their stomach over the next 24, 48 hours. Sure, okay, just like turkeys, yep. Yep, and so to get a bird's attention, you have to start knocking off that fat. When you trap a bird, they typically tend to be 10% overweight. You're not going to get that bird's attention for training or anything like that until you knock their weight off a little bit. Now, that doesn't mean you starve the bird because you have to train the bird. So you're just you're feeding the bird every day. You're just trying to knock a little bit off. And once you, after about 10 days or so, and you weigh that bird every day and you watch that weight come off, you get into a window when all of a sudden that bird starts working and that bird starts working hard, then you're kind of getting really close to your window of when you can work with that bird out in the field, stuff like that. And it's like, if you, if you were to starve the bird, the bird would have any energy to be flying, you know, 30 miles an hour after a rabbit, some fighting rabbits and cattail parts like that. So there's a window, 
And that's 90% of falconry is the weight control, figuring out how to do the scale work and all that stuff. And that's the trick. Gotcha. Okay. So you're looking for, it's going to vary from one bird to another, but between the same species of birds, you're probably going to have the same, um, a similar weight range that you're looking at. Is that right? You know, red tails, you can sometimes, um, and it also goes from not just species, but sex. Females are bigger. Um, really? Oh, okay. That's the yep. Yep. Yep, they gotta cover the eggs and protect the nest. Um, so the females are bigger, and red tails are about a third bigger. Um, red tails you typically have about an ounce or less to play with, whereas if you have a goshawk, sometimes you're talking twenty grams or less. Wow! And if you're flying something really small, like a sharpshin hawk, which is my favorite, and they are no bigger than a robin, sometimes you have to be within a half a gram. That's the difference between a bird wanting to hunt really hard to a bird just taking off and going see ya. I'm going to sit down here for three hours and not do nothing until it's time to go home. To put it in perspective, the half a gram, we're talking the weight of half of a paper clip. I always like to think sometimes, you know, you can see like a postage stamp. And so you have to get really good at uh, wow uh, the scale. And it, and it comes down to what you feed your bird. Um, some animals are way more nutritious than others. Um, rabbits aren't the most nutritious. And then if you're feeding rabbit, the front half of the rabbit is way more nutritious than the back half of the rabbit. Um, so let's say, let's say your red tail hawk hunts really, really good at 40 ounces even. And you know, you can give your bird, well, weather plays a huge part of that too. The colder it gets, the more they'll burn, um, and exercise. But you know, you can give your bird two ounces of food that day if you want to go hunting the next day to make weight at a certain time. Well, two ounces of rabbit versus two ounces of quail or pheasants, they're two, two, two different things. Um, they're going to hold on to that two ounces of quail or uh, pheasant way harder than they are the two ounces of rabbit. Wow. what a That's amazing. So you're really micromanaging it. They're almost like uh, like you're a, a wrestler in high school almost or or you're somebody preparing for an MMA tournament in the modern age, something like that. Yeah, this is the real deal. Yeah, it's, it's, it reminds me actually a lot of MMA. Like here in Wisconsin, it can get very, very cold. And if you go out hunting, say, on a Friday, you want to go for a quick hunt, you catch a rabbit, and you're like, well, I want to go hunting tomorrow, too. So you can't give that bird a whole lot. You're like, I know I want to be hunting. To have that bird ready by noon, I got and it's going to be get down to 10 degrees or zero tonight. We only flew for about an hour. How much do I got to give that bird to have it ready at noon? You know, so it's a lot of mathematical calculations and uh, where uh, you figure out what that bird is going to weigh for you to go hunting the next day. Because you have a small window where that bird has to be in. And it's something you really gain a lot when you get experience. I've been doing it for well, 17 years now. So when you first start off, you just write down everything. You have a log. You write down I fed this bird two ounces of quail today. Um, Twelve hours later, this is what she weighed with this temperature. And that's how you just kind of learn. And uh, when you do it a long time, you don't even want to have to weigh the bird. You just throw uh, some food down. You know about how much that is. And then you know what it's going to be like the next day. You just kind of get good at it after a while. That is amazing. <laughs> I just can't imagine this. You've been doing this for 17 years. How many how many different birds have you gone through during that time? Oh, how many have I actually trained and hunted with? I would probably say 25. 
I've probably trapped hundreds. Of, I've probably trapped a thousand birds in my life. Um, it's a lot like fishing. Um, you know what you have in your mind. Um, I personally like a really big female with really, really large feet. Um, so I will trap. Um, we actually have a lot of birds right here in our area. And once September hits, there's a lot of birds. They're all starting to migrate, which is what um, they're starting to go south their first year. So as October comes in, you'll start getting your birds from Canada coming in. And there's only three major migration routes, actually, in the entire country. There's one that comes through Pennsylvania, and there's one that comes through California. And there's also one that comes right through Wisconsin. They go right, right along Lake Michigan. Oh, so okay. we get our choice of birds, and you'll trap them, and then you'll look at it and weigh it and look it over. And if it's not what you want, you just throw it right back up in the air and just keep going until you get another bird. And, and sometimes you can get several a day, and sometimes it might take you you know, a couple of weeks or a month to find if you're really picky what you're looking for. And what and that's like the catch and release with fishing is what you're referring to there. What kind of trap what kind of trap are we using for these? I don't like to talk too much about traps only because um I'm so afraid someone who's not licensed will go out and try it. And it's uh if you do not have a permit, whether a rehabilitation permit or a falconry permit, you can't even really have a feather. You get in big trouble. No, oh, I can see that. Yeah, we don't need to be inspiring people to do the wrong thing here. Um, it's obviously, yeah, but the trap, I guess the big question is, the trap is a safe trap. It is a live trap of some sort so that the bird can be released afterwards. Yeah, it, it, it just has a bait animal inside, like a mouse, and it does have this monofilament nooses on the top and all it does is ensnare their toes and you're sitting there and you're watching it the whole time. You see oh. the bird, you throw the trap out, they see the mouse move, they come down and hit the trap and they're trying to they're trying to put the mouse and you know grab a hold of it and they're running all over trying to grab it. They'll get a toe ensnared and you can kind of tell like you're watching, you know, the way they're picking up their feet, you're like, okay, I think, they, you know, she's got several nooses on her feet. It should be good. And then you go racing up there, you know, and, then in the, and you typically tend to race up there really fast in your car, really fast, and right up on them, because when they see you, they'll just kind of drop on their back, and just, that way you don't have to worry about them hurting themselves or anything like that. And then um, you just throw a towel over them and then um, um, take the snares off the toes and stuff like that. It does not hurt them in any way. Gotcha. And that's that's why, you know, I, I know I heard you talk on a podcast about um, talking about social media and stuff like that and how great it is for hunting. It's falconry not so much because if you take a two-minute video of a bird being trapped, it looks horrible, and it's uh, not at all. And when you and there's some people who put that on YouTube, and if you're an anti-hunter, everyone's like, oh, that poor bird, that poor bird. And it's like you don't realize within two weeks that bird is flying free. She has a choice to come up to take off or not. You know, very good so, point. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all the context and it's all the, you got to have the whole story to go along with this stuff. Can you yep. tell me now you, you actually were bringing me to my next question, which was, you know, this bird has the choice of flying off of there. This thing's not on a tether when it's flying around, you take it out, you go hunting with it. It takes off. It's circling. It's doing its job. It's doing what it wants to do. How do you, the first time you're out there with this bird that you, you met a month ago, you met a two months ago, what have you, how, you know, how, why does this bird come back to you? If it's unsuccessful, why does the bird wait for you? If it's successful, what, what gets the bird to stay around and allows you, because you like you said, these birds don't love you. They don't bond with humans that way. They don't bond with each other that way. Most likely. What is it that allows you to maintain control over that bird or stay in that bird's presence? Um, it starts off with just 
uh, in early training, repetition and food reward. Repetition and food reward. Um, they're not like crows or parrots. Or they're not really all that smart. It takes a lot of food reward and repetition. And they it takes roughly, if when you first go out there, you may have that bird for a month. And it doesn't understand what its purpose or place is yet. And you're, you're, you know, there's a lot of steps to training. You know, uh, you're training it to follow you, which is the most important thing. And when you start consistently kicking up rabbits, which is why you have to be also a really good falconer and hunter too to really have a well-trained bird, because they'll start putting it together after they catch about ten rabbits or ten squirrels with you. Um, they'll understand that, and then when they catch it, their first ten, you let them eat as much as they want. They'll realize then that it's worth following this guy because he picks up the game. I catch it, I eat, and I get to go home to a nice, you know, safe place to sleep at night and do it all again the next day. Yeah. So they they get a lot of reward out of it, and uh, it's very beneficial to them. So once they learn the game, um, there's nothing like a well-trained raptor, whether a goshawk or a redtail. Um, it's it is a very neat experience to have a large raptor flying to you of its own free will as you're calling it to your glove um, whether the hunt is over or you're going to a different spot and you call that bird to you and that bird is you know crossing a, a field at 40 yards away flying to your fist lands on your fist that's a really really neat experience to, uh, to think especially if you're a guy who trains hunting dogs so you have three you know a three person partnership you have your dog searching for game birds and you have you and your bird it's a neat neat relationship you can have with mother nature i can just imagine you, you've said a couple of important things there that really struck me one was that you have to be a good hunter as well so the bird almost has achieves a level of respect for you in that it sees you as the source of its own hunting success and so that's important, but also the similarity between these and the hunting dogs. And I think that you see the blurred lines with folks that have beagles as pets. But a week or two ago, I was out on the state game lands and a pack of beagles came through there and I got to see them in their glory. They were the happiest. Those dogs could not. I can't picture those dogs have been could have been in a happier environment. They were just chasing something, smelling something. They were doing what they were bred to do. <laughs> That's exactly right, and it's the same with these raptors. You know, like I'll take my kids and we'll go to uh, rehabilitation places, um, and you see a raptor in a cage that has you know no wing or something like that, and and you you look in their eyes and that fire is not there anymore. There's no fire there. Yeah. And when you take a raptor out and a raptor sit up in the tree and you're hitting a cattail patch and you look up and you see her shaking her butt like a cat getting ready to pounce and she's just getting ready. And you can tell, like, I didn't see nothing. I didn't hear nothing. But there's obviously a rabbit in here that circ- a lot of times in the cattails, they know that bird's up there and they'll circle back behind you because they're not afraid of you anymore. They're more afraid of that bird up there. And you can tell by your bird's body language, like, okay, there's a rabbit here. All I need to do is make that rabbit twitch. And if that rabbit twitches, she'll see it. And there is nothing like having a red-tailed hawk sitting above you 50 feet in a tree. And she just leaves her perch. And they'll go into a nosedive with their wings folded. And they'll, and a large female will hit the ground so hard without no breaks. 
and they make connection with that rabbit, you will hear a thud like you never hear. They'll hit those cattails, they'll hit a brush pile, they don't care. They'll hit it so hard, and you think that bird has to be dead. And if not, she's sitting there, and she's holding a rabbit, looking at you like, what, you going to help me with this or what? <laughs> and it's, it is very neat how um, well these birds are. And to think that, you know, you're taking part in, you know, something that's been around for 4,000 years is just mind-blowing. You mentioned that before, 4,000 years. Holy cow, what a description you just gave me. And I can't imagine that this has been going on for 4,000 years. It just shows you the importance of the role. When we talk about conservation, this is the front lines of conservation, preserving something that has been part of human conservation for eons. That's an amazing concept, and I really do appreciate you taking the time to be on my podcast with me. I, it's been a pleasure to be on your podcast. I love your podcast, and I thought, you know, I wonder if, you know, sooner or later you can only talk crossbows so long year round. I was like, I wonder if he'd be interested in talking about another form of hunting. Absolutely. Was I right or was I right? Was that an interesting episode of Talking with Bungie or not? I'm telling you, I learned a lot during that. I did a little bit of research online, looking up articles on Wikipedia and other sources before I interviewed Jason, just so I would have some idea what I was talking about. But I want to thank him once again for joining me on Talking with Bungie and making it such an interesting episode. I totally understand where he's coming from when we talk about not talking about the trapping and encouraging people to get out there and try to trap these birds on their own. That is why the state has an apprenticeship program, stages of licensing, to allow you to get into that. That probably is something, a feature of falconry state by state across the states throughout the United States and throughout the world. So make sure, if you're interested in this topic, to seek out the help of someone like Jason LeMay, someone who is knowledgeable, but also legitimately licensed in that business, in that endeavor. Don't go trying this on your own. I hope you got as much out of this episode as I did. And, of course, until next time, all hail Bungie. Bungie. <laughs>